Welcome to Tea Time with Mary. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm a former bikini fitness model turned self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey friends, before we begin, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast episode is sponsored by my favorite books. Not literally, but I did create a book list for you with all of my favorite books for self-love and body image and self-confidence and just overall self-healing and growth. I am a huge personal growth person. And to be honest with you, a lot of the things that I talk about come from the books that I've read. I'm a big reader and I always tell my little sister, readers are leaders. And I love audiobooks. I love book books. I love Kindle. I love all the forms of books. Just give me all the goods. So I decided to create a book list for you with my top 25 favorite books. And I actually add to this list. So there's probably going to be more than 25 books on it. But I have narrowed it down to top 25 books that you need to read to start the self-love journey. I'm not saying you have to read all the books right now, but you should have this list handy dandy for when you're getting a book on Amazon or shopping in your Audible or whatever. So I've created this book list and you can get it at maryscupoftea.com slash books. And I will also put it in the show notes. And let me know how you like these recommendations by screenshotting what you're reading and tagging me in your Instagram stories. I always love seeing you use my recommendations. It just makes my whole day because we're like a little community. So anyways, maryscupoftea.com slash books. Go get it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mary's Cup of Tea, the podcast. Today, I'm here with my dear friend, Jesse. Jesse, we're on Zoom so I can see your beautiful face, which is amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So we met in Denver, but before that, we have connected on social media like, what, two, three years ago, probably even? I don't even know. It has been a while. It's been a while, but your work is so amazing mm-hmm. and so needed. You're mm-hmm. an eating psychology coach and the creator of the Food Freedom Online Program. And just seeing your testimonials, I have chills talking about it. Mm-hmm. The testimonials from the women whose lives you change who are struggling with food freedom and binge eating and body image, which so inevitably goes into that. I just mm-hmm. so admire the work that you do. Mm-hmm. And what I was telling you before we started recording was that so much of your advice has helped me. You were one of the first people that I first turned to for my healing. And it's just been like so incredible. So surreal sitting here with you. Thank you so much for all the kind words. I have loved getting to know you. And I think what's been so special about our connection is we, I feel like we have this, we have such different energy, but it's such a beautiful compliment to one another. And watching you grow on social media has been so fun. And I think the message that we both have in our heart to share with women is just a message of of freedom and liberation in from food, from body image. And I think there's so many different ways that we can approach it. And um, I'm just excited to dive in and hopefully share some of those. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, it's all for like a bigger purpose, right? Like totally. a lot of people talk about food or body confidence or body image or any of those topics. And they think that, you know, I just want to feel good about myself. Like, I just want to feel pretty. <laughs> I hear that so much. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no. Yeah, there's <laughs> so much more. There's so much more. <laughs> so exactly. much more. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you came to this. Wait a second. What I didn't mention. <laughs> what? I've been following you since my fitness days. Oh, boy. How did I forget that? <laughs> we talked about... Because I was a different human? <laughs> oh, my God. So was I. It was my past life. Yeah, for sure. Incarnated and I get memories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So man, I started out in, in health and fitness because I thought that was the thing that was going to solve my eating disorders. So I just went, you know, zero to 100 down that path and, and wound up in competing. And that's really how I started to grow on social media was just sharing my journey of competing. Um, and man, was that a wild ride, but I had no, I think, I think maybe you did mention that once, but I still, I feel I'm like so disconnected from that part of myself. We we were drinking a little bit. Well, there's that too. (laughs) I got Taylor too in, but yeah, I followed you from my fitness days because I looked up to you as like a fitness Mm -hmm. person. And then I think we both like slowly transitioned and then I refound you and I was like, wait a second. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Crazy. Well, I have to apologize to you and everybody else that I, you know, my intention was always pure. And that's the thing that I've had to make peace with myself is going from, you know, teaching something that I now am totally not in support of um, and being like this, this person who is teaching other people how to do things that were leading me, you know, down my eating disorder path. And so I'm sorry to you and to everybody else who has followed me during that season of my life. But the the piece that I have in my heart about that is um, we are all a work in progress and we're all evolving. And my hope is that in you finding me again, you like, I hope that when people maybe find me again or reconnect or have seen me, see me transform, it helps give them this sense of permission that they can do the same thing. I totally feel you on that. I honestly feel so bad about my past. But like you said, like I was doing it from a good place and I did think that that was the answer. And I was Mm -hmm. so deep into it, you know, that I wanted everybody else to be deep into it too. But Mm -hmm. but it does mean a lot nevertheless, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. So, okay. How did you, like, what was your breaking point? Mm. So yeah, my journey with um, food and body has been crazy. And I remember... Um, thinking that this was the the thing that I was going to struggle with the rest of my life. At one point in my journey, I remember, I remember having this thought that, man, this is either life isn't worth it and maybe you shouldn't continue on, or you're going to have to accept the fact that this is going to be kind of your Achilles heel. You're always going to struggle in some form or another with your weight, with binge eating, emotional eating, compulsive overeating, this anxiety with exercise. Like this is just the thing. Um, and cause I had tried so many different things and the way that I kind of my eating disorder, my, and I don't even like to call it a disorder because none of us are disordered. We're just experiencing these unhealthy behaviors. But the way that these unhealthy behaviors started for me was, um, I was a cheerleader in high school. I did gymnastics. Um, I did, um, track and I did dance and I was in all of these kind of look focused, um, sports. And in that I, I just started to notice my body for the first time when I was in high school. And I really hadn't had any concept of what I looked like before high school. And I know I work with women who, who can remember feeling insecure when they were, you know, eight years old, but I didn't even have a concept of what I looked like until high school. And as I started to understand my own reflection, I started to judge it. And, and what started to happen was really before that I became addicted to succeeding out of fear. I was afraid that if I didn't do well in school or I didn't do well in um, ac- or athletics or I didn't do well in student government or whatever, um, I wouldn't get scholarships to go to college because my parents had said, um, look, we love you. We believe in you. You can accomplish anything, but we don't have the money to send you to college. So if you want to go to college, I grew up in a really, really poor family. If you want to go to college, 
and I was the first one in my family to do that, you're going to have to figure out how to make that happen. We wish we could do that for you, but we can't. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to become like my mom and my stepdad and count tips after they got home from, you know, working as bartenders. Like I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to stress. And so when I got into high school, I just made it my mission to be the best at everything, hoping that somehow I would get some type of, of scholarship, which I ended up getting. But because of that, and because of that fear, I started sleeping about four to five hours a night. And that was my entire high school and college career. I I just didn't think I had time to sleep. I had to be perfect in my academics, athletics, everything. I had to volunteer. I had to do it all. And because I had that mentality, I didn't have time to sleep. And so not sleeping, being in a growing body and, and needing to have energy to keep going, I turned to food. And so I turned to food more than normal, more than what was probably balanced because I needed energy. And so my body started to change. And as my body started to change, I started to notice it more and more. And I, this sounds really dramatic, but it was a big thing in my life at the time. I went from um, being the girl that was thrown up in the air in cheerleading to becoming a base because younger girls were coming up um, beneath me and they were smaller and it was easier to hold them up. And I remember thinking, I have failed. Like I have failed in some way. And that started this desire to restrict. And as that happened, I started to get into these cycles where I would restrict for a while and then I would snap and I would lose it and I would binge and I would eat in secret and I would hide. And I didn't even know like what the word binge eating was. I just know I felt really embarrassed and I would hide food and, and like I would sneak, sneak around eating and I would do so to the point where I was so sick to my stomach that I, I felt like I was at, like I had this high, I was on a high and I call it now the binge eating high where you're just in a, like this temporary numbed out euphoric state. Um, and those cycles continued all the way through college, all the way into my early twenties. And, and then, you know, I got into health and fitness thinking, you know what, if I put the pressure on myself to do a bikini competition, that's going to be the thing that finally teaches me discipline finally teaches me to stick with something and I'll finally get to the body that I feel good in. And so that's what I did. And it sent me deeper into the hole. I was obsessing more about food, obsessing more about my weight. And, and when I got, when I started to lose weight, I was never satisfied. I never felt good enough. I always would nitpick the next thing on my body. And, um, it was to the point where I was starting to have mental breakdowns in the gym. And during my first competition, when I flew back to Colorado, I was living in Florida at the time when I flew back to Colorado, I was so emaciated. I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it through the airport to my gate because I thought I was going to pass out. And so I, I was walking along the side of the, the wall to hold myself up to get to the gate. And that's because I had starved myself so much. I, I didn't have the physical energy to barely take the next step. I finally got to my gate and I remember I snapped. I thought I had snapped and I had a piece of gum and I felt so guilty because I just consumed a gram of carb, like one carb that was in that piece of gum. And I didn't think there was any problem. <laughs> like this, is, I'm, uh, there's no problem here. I didn't even think there was a problem. Um, and so throughout this 10 year journey, I started to recognize, okay, I really have a problem. And I put myself into therapy. I thought I was like literally going crazy. And so I tried therapy and then I went to Overeaters Anonymous, which is like AA for those who, who overeat. 
And I sat in these meetings, these 12 step meetings, and we repeated these, um, these mantras essentially, um, saying things like I am an overeater. My life has become unmanageable. I, I like, I do not have control over this. And it was basically, you know, and I don't, I don't dog these programs, but for me, that wasn't very empowering to hear that I, my life is unmanageable. I have lost control, whatever like that, like admitting that like felt so disempowering, but I kept going and hoped that I would find an answer. Um, and then I kept looking for the next diet in order to try and figure out the solution. And so that was kind of the journey that I had with, um, with my struggle with food. And along the, the, that 10 year period, I remember every time I tried a new diet or every time I tried to heal or each new book that I read, I remember feeling more and more like my self-belief was being chipped away because it was like, I was trying, like I was trying to find my way out and I couldn't do it. And I, I kept asking myself like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why can't you do this? Why can't you find freedom? I remember felt feeling crazy. Like, I know I don't want to do these things with food yet. I'm sneaking away and I'm hiding wrappers, you know, at the bottom of the trash can, I'm stealing my roommate's food in these like anxious panics that I'll get and, and, you know, want to binge. And, you know, I'm hiding while I'm eating, I'm hiding eating from other people. I don't want to eat in front of people because I don't want them to judge me. And I'm pouring water on my food and I'm chewing food and I'm spitting it out. And cause I don't want to eat the calories and I'm, you know, exercising three hours a day sometimes. And it's like, what was wrong with me? And I felt great. Like I literally just felt crazy. And on the outside, nobody knew. Nobody knew. I was, you know, I was making my way through life. I was, you know, made my way through college, made my way into my, you know, my first career and nobody knew what was going on. So it was so incredibly isolating. And I think to get back to your question, my breaking point was really, it was a slow breakdown of, I'm so exhausted. I can't do this anymore. It was this slow, like, I don't think I have the energy and the capacity to keep doing this there's got to be a different way. And I remember the first time I heard the word intuitive eating, I was walking out of the gym and my a previous friend, he was my coach at the time, he had heard about this and he's like, isn't this so silly? And I remember busting out laughing, thinking, yeah, right. If I listened to my hunger and fullness cues, I would be elbow deep in a tub of ice cream every night. Like there is no way but it kind of piqued my interest enough for me to fit like, what is this intuitive eating thing? I thought it was complete BS. There's no way I could ever listen to my hunger and fullness cues. And so that was, I think the, the entry point for me to start learning more information. And then I became obsessed with just digging and digging and digging. Wow. Oh my God. We are so similar. <laughs> I didn't even know how similar we were because you've interviewed me for your podcast mm -hmm. and I talked. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't even realize like how connected we are. Mm. The thing starting with school, like that was me. That was mm. my mom. You want to go to college, you're going to get a scholarship. And then I, wow. you know, became that perfect girl. Right. That's going to be perfect at school and perfect at everything else and take every bit of desire to succeed out on, on my body, on my academics, essentially mm. numbered. Oh, yeah. Like grades that I would get, mm -hmm. calories in my food, money that I'd make. Like it was like always attached to numbers and yep. my mind like just circulates around them just nonstop. Mm -hmm. It's it is a type of addiction. One hundred percent. Which is why 
which is why I understand why OA, Overeaters Anonymous, exists. Um, mm-hmm. I never knew what it was actually like. Mm. Yeah, it's. I I know there are individuals who have found freedom from programs like AA and OA. Um, however, knowing what I know now about the science of behavior change, I am not a fan of those methodologies um, because because they can be very disempowering. And so I'm a fan of learning the most efficient way to heal. And so while it's a beautiful thing to have a support group, and I I think that's amazing, um, I think the fear that was created in me um, going there and really just continuing to repeat these mantras that, you know, my life has become unmanageable and, and I need to cut out sugar and I need to cut out, you know, I need to cut out these things that I binge on. And if I can be strong in that, then, then I, then I'll be fine. I'll be balanced. I won't overeat. And when I like in, in doing that, I just found for me, the, the pressure was building more and more. And it very much so felt kind of like a diet with these rules. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like, I, I had a sponsor who I would meet with and we would talk about like how I was doing, but it was more like checking in that I wasn't doing the things I shouldn't be doing. So I wouldn't binge. And that just created more fear in food for me. And I, I don't know, I don't know if every meeting is the same. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak ill of them, but for me personally, it was an experience that almost made my struggles with food worse. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't know I was just desperate for, for help. And they seemed yeah. to know something that I didn't. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. So with intuitive eating after your interest was spiked, what happened after and now I just like want to hear your story and then we'll get into the science of behavioral change and some practical and tactical tips and tools that our listeners can take away to apply to themselves if they're struggling Mm -hmm. with restricting binging dieting yo-yoing yeah totally so um I think the hard thing, and this is the thing that um, I always share with people who are like, I don't really know if I'm a binge eater or an overeater or if I have a problem with food. And I like to share this because I I question that a lot myself because I would, when I was starting to understand what an eating disorder even was, I would Google these things and I would read the descriptions for um, that come from the um, the DSM five, and I would read these descriptions, these very formal descriptions of what classified a binge eater, what classified somebody to be anorexic. And I remember thinking, yeah, like, no, I don't think I fall under that a hundred percent. But I kind of dip my toes in this, and I kind of dip my toes in this, and I've definitely done that. But it's like I didn't feel like I fit under that description, and so I didn't really know what I was dealing with, which almost made me feel. It was almost more of like this, what the heck is going on? Because if eating disorders have been studied and and I'm not fitting the criteria, then what the heck do I have going on? And so the, the thing that I want to say before I talk about this whole intuitive eating interest was um, if you're in that boat where you're like, I just, I don't know, I have food anxiety. I don't really know if I'm struggling. I don't love the relationship I have with food. I always tell, um, I tell individuals who ask me, I just say, ask yourself a, a series of a few questions. And, and this will help reveal if there is something that's off in your relationship with food. And so those questions are, um, do I ever feel anxious around food? Do I ever feel guilt for eating? Do I ever feel a sense of a loss of control? Do I ever want to hide when I eat? Do I feel ashamed for what I've eaten? Am I afraid of my hunger cues? Um, do I 
do I have to live by a meal plan in order to feel safe? Or do I have to live by macros or counting my calories in order to feel safe? Do I ever, you know, do things with food that I end up feeling like, what the heck? That wasn't my intention. And if we can just simply break it down that way and say, well, yeah, I do experience that. I do feel guilt sometimes, or I am afraid, or I do have a little bit of fear. I do feel anxious, or I do worry about, you know, the food that's going to be at the restaurant or at the party that I'm going to. Then we can say, you know what? That's not how I'm designed. I'm designed to have this easy, normal, you know, effortless relationship with food. It should be exciting. It should be fun, but it shouldn't occupy so much mental real estate. If you're waking up in the morning and some of your first thoughts are about, you know, like are these all consuming thoughts about food, or if you're going to bed and you're telling what you ate for the day and seeing how you did, like those things are, Mm -hmm. are stealing life from you. And so in understanding that and recognizing that's all that I needed to understand in order to be deserving of help, that really helped me see that, when I was reading about intuitive eating, I was learning some of those things. Like, yeah, I do feel anxious around food or I do feel, um, you know, I, I sometimes do feel like I'm spiraling out of control or I'm driven by some outside force. Although like intellectually, no, I don't want to do this. Um, and so that's kind of what happened for me. I started to have these like, wait, yeah, yeah. And I started to feel validated and I started to feel like somebody else understands me. And so at the time when I um, found intuitive eating, I was still very much so in the cycles of competing, but I was getting tired. I, my body was tired. My mind was tired. Um, my hormones were all out of whack. And I, I think it was this combination of just being exhausted and finding, like, finding validation that somebody kind of understood me, or there was this methodology that I was really resonating with. Um, and so I was tracking macros at the time and I slowly started to release myself from tracking. And it started with not tracking for maybe a meal and seeing how I did. And sometimes I would overeat and then, you know, I would try it again the next week. And then, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to go a whole day and try not to track my macros. And at that point, like I could freaking tally everything up in my head because I had been tracking for so Mm -hmm. long. But I just started to slowly do that and slowly increase my food intake. And and on that journey, it was it was definitely challenging to see my body change. But what also started to happen after this initial period of a lot of overeating, which I thought was going to continue on forever, because anytime I had ever taken a you know a diet break or given given myself a cheat day, um, I did go way overboard. And so I thought, if I am not tracking, I'm just going to eat un- until I explode. Um, and initially when I started to stop tracking as much, I was overeating and that lasted for a little bit. And sometimes I would get anxious and then I would binge, but I kept trying it and I kept trying it and I kept trying it. And what started to happen was this, this shiny, glossy allure that certain foods had that started to diminish. It's like you give yourself Mm -hmm. ice cream every single day for a month. Eventually it's like, I'm kind of sick of this. Yeah. And I never thought that could happen. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what started to happen. I was like, wait a second. I never, I thought I was going to gain weight and gain weight and gain weight and it would never stop. And I think that's the fear that a lot of women have or a lot of individuals have that keep them from even starting. How did you combat that fear? Like in the moment? Mm, yeah, it was a lot of self-compassion. I had to start distancing myself from the competing world and there was a lot of amazing women and, and men that I met there, 
but I had to start seeing things that were different than that because otherwise I was super triggered and I felt like, oh my gosh, look at her stage lean body. And I'm not even anywhere near that anymore. I had to start filling my my mind and my social media feed with images of women who were my size, who were bigger than me, who were all different shapes and sizes, and who were exuding confidence in all different bodies. Because what that started to do for me was it started to show me I can be confident in this body and in that body and in that size and at that size. And I just wanted freedom. And so that was the thing that like when I was really down on myself, it was like I had to fill my mind with things of, you know, seeing the joy of somebody who is in a body maybe much larger than mine. I was like, okay, like there's something to this. So it was really, it was about yeah, I've uh, editing my my visual diet. Mm, say that again. <laughs> yeah, you got to you've got you've got to take an inventory of your visual diet. Our diet is not just what we eat, it's what we look at, it's what we listen to, it's what we watch on TV. And so if we can be so so aware of how much that is impacting our perception of reality, there's a lot of science behind this too. What you see, your brain takes all of the all of the things that you see and that you intake and it just creates the average and it decides that's normal that's ideal that's expected and so if your social media feed or the shows that you're watching or the things that you're listening to are all based on what you might feel are your goals but it's making you feel not good enough and then your perception of reality is this you know thin societally you know ideal body type and you don't fit that mold, well, suddenly, like, then we have this worthiness issue. So I had to recalibrate my entire perspective on reality. Wow. It reminds me of when I moved to Canada because I needed to get out of Arizona for exactly that reason because I felt mm. like I was just too sucked into the competing world and the fitness world and like the very like image driven situation that I sometimes feel in Scottsdale because we kind of get like a lot of a lot of trickling down from the LA kind of vibe. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I went, went to Canada, you know, I was living with my boyfriend at the time there and I would meet new people and all this stuff. So to be like, where are you from? Like, what brought you to Calgary kind of thing? And I mm-hmm. would say something like, oh, well, I used to compete. And they're like, compete in what? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, like compete like in, in like bodybuilding competitions. And they're like, oh, like Phil Heath? And I'm like, <laughs> well... Yeah, I mean, kind of divisions. Yeah, and yeah. I have to explain this whole thing, and I realized that, like, the 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 feeling that I felt that everybody is competing and everybody has this body and everybody is dieting and everybody is trying to change how they look because of this, especially as it pertains to like that fitness stuff. Like, unfortunately, it is in a lot of places, mm-hmm. but it's not as much as we think. Mm-mm. And no. when somebody was like, "What? What's competing?" Like, yeah, yes, <laughs> you yeah. know. When somebody like opened my eyes to that, I was like, "Wait a second! Like, that's not life." Like, Mm-mm. and the particular person that first asked me that was like an academic, so he mm. was like really deep in academia and education, and he would talk about all these like academic research papers and like all this stuff that is also like a world in and of itself. You know, like totally. everybody has their own little world. And when we get into that world, we think that it's the only way to be successful is if we're deeper in that world and we prove that world right. But like, hello, there's so many other worlds. Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. 
100%. And I feel like that was, I remember having an, a very similar experience, many similar experiences where people would say that same thing. And I'm like, you don't know what this world is because it was my whole world at the time. And what I had to do was, and it was weird because when you divorce a certain world, and it doesn't mean the people there aren't good people, they're just in that world. But when you start to, you know, deep, like untangle from that, it yeah. feels disorienting. And it's like, that was my crew. That was my, the people that I related to. And where am I going now? And it's almost like you feel like you're floating around. And I had to start diving in and exploring different things, like different interests. I had to explore different friend groups. I had to become friends with people who were different body sizes than I was because I just was so stuck in comparisonitis and feeling like as I was like slowly trying to move my way out of that world, like I felt like the bigger friend all the time because I was, you know, not stage lean. And some of these people would maintain that body all of the time. And I'm like, I can't do that. And so while I love, and I still have many friends who are a part of that world and I love, and I respect them. Like I just had to diversify. Mm -hmm. How did you go about that without like the first thought that comes into my head was like, well, I don't want to be doing this just because I want to like feel better about myself. Like it's for the intention of diversifying, but how do you, and now that I look at my, my friends, like there's definitely a lot of diversity. I wish there was more, but I don't put myself out there that much in the making friends department because making friends as an adult is hard, but like how did you Yeah, really Mm -hmm. Um, personally go about that? Mm, Yeah. I, well, I stopped going to shows (laughs) When my friends would invite me, I would say, you know, I'm so excited for you and I support you. And, you know, just in this season of my life, I'm not competing right now. And um, it just is so tempting for me to want to get back into competing, but it's just, I need to take a break from it. So I love you. I support you, but I'm not going to be there this weekend. And so I kind of started doing things like that. And it was a transition that was a little lonely. And this is, you know, I always want to set up expectations correctly, healing and evolving can be challenging, but the reward and the beauty of finding freedom and joy and happiness and confidence that's unshakable, like that's worth it. But it was a little lonely at first. And I also, what I had to start doing was going to a different gym because the gym that I was at, everybody was doing the same thing and they were, you know, they were competing and I still wanted to exercise, but to get into an environment where people were, you know, all different shapes and sizes and they were taking exercise classes. And, you know, I would, I started to do that. And I started to change who I was following on social media and be intentional about using social media to be social. So that's how I started to make some connections with people of all different shapes and sizes and just start to open up that conversation. And, you know, I would comment on people's things and I would message them and I would, you know, follow them and be like, I'm so glad I found you. Like, thank you for the message that you're putting out there. This, you know, this is an area that I'm really struggling in and I'm really encouraged by you. And it was just slowly, but surely there was new people that were coming into my life as I was doing new things. So my weekends were no longer spent, you know, all day long in the gym or practicing my routine, my, you know, my posing routine for my competition but rather, you know, I was going on dates and I was going to comedy shows and I was, you know, going out to eat. And so I started to see like, wow, there's these, like, there's this whole other world and I, of, of interest and people and passions and joy. And so it was definitely a slow, challenging at times, lonely process. But I find if you just have one or two people in your corner that you can lean on, you're solid. Yeah, for sure. Ah, oh, that is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people, there's like a whole world out there where people don't give a fuck about how you look. 
It's no. crazy. And it's more people than not. I mean, most of us are just like insecure about how we look, but we totally. don't really care that much about how other people look. Only very shallow people that you don't want to hang out with anyways care. Yeah. Right. 100%. Um, I'm reading this book called Beauty Sick, which I've talked about a million mm. times on this podcast. I hope that she sells out of all her books and they have to print more because <laughs> it is the best book ever. Oh, she has a chapter called Media Literacy is Not Enough, meaning it's not enough for us to just know that the images in the media are photoshopped and filtered and not always real. We also have to like hands-on experience that. And one exercise that Dr. Renee brings up is to, if you have like an image that you're, you're comparing yourself to, like whether it's your past self, like your old body or um, somebody on social media or reality TV or like whatever, where it's the most mm-hmm. present, like go to your grocery store and look around at the woman at your grocery store. Mm-hmm. Yep. And don't go to Whole Foods. Go to like... <laughs> yep. Yep. Go to like a normal grocery store. Yep. That like the majority of people shop at and look around and see the woman. Do they look like what you just saw on TV? Right. And that was like so eye-opening for mm-hmm. me. Just like reading that that little paragraph about that. It's because so I'm good. like... Yeah, like <clears throat> images that I'm seeing on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook and even people who are my friends, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. they don't look like that grocery shopping. Mm-mm. No. And their moms don't look like that grocery shopping either. No. And there's real women out there with so many real things on our on our skin and on our body mm-hmm. and otherwise that and we never look twice at them and be like, oh my God. Right. Never. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe like the Valencia filter, whatever, or the <laughs> right. oatmeal, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So that was really eye opening for me. That's so, I love that. And that's something that I share with the women that I work with is that exact activity is go and just just take a week and be intentional about, you know, turning off, like to do an entire um, media fast. And, and try not to watch TV, try and stay off of social media, delete the apps for a, for a week, you know, just try and be present and open your eyes to what's around you. When, when you're at the grocery store, when you're at the gas station, when you're, you know, out and about, just open your eyes and look, look at the women that you see. And what do you notice about them besides the way that they look? Do you, can you feel their energy? Like, is there more to them than just their, their body, which in seeing other images of, of real humans walking around, it is so relieving. Cause I think we realize like, wait a second. Yeah. We, it's not, it's not Instagram images that are walking around. Yeah. Nowhere. Like there's a mom of like six kids trying to get all her kids into her vehicle or like somebody walking around and like, I don't know, buying all this food. She's probably throwing a party. Like you, it really humanizes people. Totally. And I think too, if we can, um, if we can challenge our own judgments and this doesn't mean you're a bad person. If you start to notice that you do this, it just means you've been, you know, you've been impacted and affected by diet culture. But if you can start to notice the way that you judge people, we often are more compassionate towards other people. And we can, when we realize it, when we have the self-awareness to be like, wow, I don't treat the, and this is a really powerful exercise. When you like, when you recognize that maybe you treat the waiter at a five-star restaurant who's dressed in a nice, you know, suit and tie different than you're treating the gas station clerk, mm-hmm. ask yourself, like, why do I do that? Why do I do that? Is it just because the the image in this five-star restaurant with this waiter who's super 
fancy and, and presenting himself in a certain way. It's because this image, we don't know either of them any, any better or any worse. We don't know them. And so I always say, you know, challenge yourself to treat every single person with the same level of respect and what that, what the kind of side effect of that is, is we're able to start treating ourselves with more respect on the days that we're dressed up, put together and feel good. And on the days that we aren't on the days that we, we don't put any makeup on, we don't have time to do our hair. We don't have time to get dressed up. So if we can start treating other people with compassion and love and respect and just challenging our own biases and our own judgments, we tend to have less judgment towards ourselves, which becomes so liberating. I am shook. Mm. I am shook. This is mm-hmm. so much deeper than put on some lipstick and you'll feel confident. <laughs> right? Right. Wow. Yeah. It reminds me of, it's a very Buddhist practice. It reminds me of, have you heard of a loving kindness meditation? Mm, yes. It's where you, you go out and um, you pick a stranger, mm-hmm. so like wherever you're at, and you pick a stranger and you close your eyes and you wish them love and kindness and health and wealth. And you just, you basically pray for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And in turn, it's a practice of self-compassion because you'll instantly find that you feel really good about yourself, even though the other person doesn't know, but it's like, you're sending that good energy to that one particular person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is so profound. It's like literally a Buddhist practice of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. And I think it's, it's like, we put these people on a pedestal based on their image. Mm-hmm. And if we want to start seeing more in ourselves and valuing ourselves for more than a body, we have to start doing that for other people. You know, this person in the, the groceries, the mom with six kids loading her cart. Like if you can give her the same, the same amount of respect in how you smile at her and how you hold your energy around her that you would somebody that you, you know, maybe look up to or you you aspire to have their body or whatever. If you can start doing that with other people, I think it just helps us see that we're valuable in so many different ways. Yeah, it is so eye-opening. Mm-hmm. I don't have a very um, natural segue here, but I do want to get yeah. to like practical tips sure. and tools for intuitive eating and food freedom. <clears throat> like, Talk to us about behavior change and how that works and like what you recommend. Totally. So if you resonated with struggling with um, food or body image in any way, I know that some of the some of the people who maybe teach about freedom or intuitive eating or body confidence, I just I, I know that there's some messages out there that make us feel intimidated to pursue healing. So if you're in that boat and you feel that way and you're listening to this podcast and you're like, yes, I resonate, but I'm terrified because I feel like I can't feel like be confident in my own skin, have the body I want and have this easy, effortless relationship with food. I just want to validate that feeling um, and validate the fear. And I want you to know it's okay to feel that way. And I, I try and speak a message of let's stair step our way into this journey because it is really scary to let go of everything that you once knew. Um, but I also want to share the hope that there is freedom. There's so much freedom to both be confident in your own skin and have an easy, effortless relationship with food if we take the right steps in the right order. And um, I think a lot of this, again, a lot of this intuitive eating talk and body confidence talk, there's a lot of theory that we hear and you might start to feel really good when you listen to it, but you're left with, okay, I, I read her book 
or I did the thing, or I listened to the podcast, and yet I'm still binging, or I'm still overeating. Like, what the heck? Why? I understand some of the concepts now, but why can't I move forward in this? And here's what I want to share with you is some, some tangible strategies to begin the journey to finding peace with food, ending the battle with overeating, emotional eating, maybe you're binge eating. I don't care where you're at on the unhealthy spectrum of your relationship with food. It's just a spectrum. So if you're not binging or overeating, but you have so much food anxiety because you're eating quote unquote perfect, but you're so anxious about it, you're just falling, you're not, you're on a different end of the spectrum. So wherever you're at on the spectrum, this is a really great place to start is by understanding that in your brain, there's these neural pathways that are created through habitual action. So, so anytime you, you think the same thoughts, you have the same emotions, you engage in the same behaviors and you do that repetitively, repetitively, the brain creates this neural pathway. And so Tying our shoes isn't something that we have to think about. We do it automatically because we've done it so many times. Well, if you're struggling with overeating and binging and emotional eating and and food anxiety and these self-sabotaging thoughts, it's very much so become like this tying, tying our shoes. It's just automatic. And so in order to reprogram your brain so you no longer even feel these impulses to do these things that you know you intellectually don't want to do or don't want to feel, we have to start the process of habituation in a new, creating new neural pathways. And this takes repetitive action. So if you've tried a technique or you've read this woman's book and it was amazing, but you haven't changed your behaviors, know that repetition, 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 repetition will start to weaken the impulses that you're feeling. And so um, a couple strategies for for beginning this process, I am a huge advocate of teaching a morning routine. And I teach a bunch of different metacognition and uh, mental collaboration tools. But a morning routine, the reason I am so adamant about teaching this and I do this free morning routine challenge is because our brains are most susceptible to change first thing in the morning. The brain waves are on a different level when you first wake up and right before you fall asleep. And so if we can capitalize on that time of the day by training the brain through practices like meditation, um, we effectively reduce these feelings of impulse towards food, towards self-sabotaging behaviors, and we're able to function more in alignment with our goals. So if you've ever you know, thought about or considered or tried meditation and you've said to yourself, I'm not really good at it, or it's kind of woo-woo, it's kind of weird, I want to encourage you to understand that it's not about being good at meditation. It is a mental exercise for the brain, and it works on a dose-dependent basis. And so it, what I do in this free morning routine challenge, what I do is I take the women who are in it through this 12-minute live morning routine every single morning. It doesn't have to be done live with me, but... I basically lead you through this process of setting your day up for success by focusing on different affirmations. We use some breathwork techniques, which help us regulate our nervous system. And we practice releasing the thoughts that come into our mind and focusing on our breath in order to strengthen the prefrontal lobe of the brain. And I know this is getting kind of out there and kind of sciencey, but I want to share this with those of you who feel so much doubt and skepticism that there's actually a lot of research done on how we can reprogram our mind and reprogram our brain. And if you start to get in the habit of meditating and doing a morning routine, especially ones that are focused around food and body image, you will effectively start to change the patterning of your brain and how you respond to situations throughout the day. 
So that's one technique. And before we we hit record on this podcast, Mary said, you know, that build a plate strategy that you were talking about, um, we should talk about that. So I want to share with you guys, if you're, if you're struggling with binge eating, here's a tangible meditation is kind of the higher level science side of things. Let's talk about kind of a hack. So if you're finding that you being in quarantine or, you know, whenever you're struggling with going into the pantry and just kind of losing it or going into the fridge and just kind of overdoing it with food, I I teach this build a plate strategy where if we can start by getting present and aware with our food, by any time we eat, we plate our food. We put everything on a plate instead of going and grabbing the bag of chips and pulling out a handful and then eating more and then eating more and then feeling so guilty. If you can just say, look, I'm going to, everything that I want, even if it's completely random, I'm going to put a handful of chips. I'm going to put a couple of these cookies. I'm going to put some of last night's leftovers. I'm going to put everything that I want to eat on a plate right now. And I'm, I'm going to not eat while I'm plating the food because I really want to be present and enjoy my food. What happens is once you've put away the bag, you've, you know, put away the leftovers, take that plate out of the kitchen, sit down and be present with the food. And this is, this is the another part of the hack that will probably seem so backwards, but it's so powerful. If you sit down and maybe you're feeling a little anxious because now all the food that you were going to mindlessly eat, now you're mindfully eating because it's right in front of you. I want you to know that feeling guilty and not allowing yourself to feel pleasure when you eat is creating a greater urge to eat more because the body and brain are hardwired to move towards pleasure. So when you're sitting down and you're eating and you're looking at that food and you're maybe feeling guilty for what you're eating, know that that guilt is causing you to eat more in the long run. And so this is the hack. And this is the thing that you're going to have to wrestle with because I know it's scary when we're working through this, but sink into deep pleasure, force yourself to fully enjoy it. And the way that we do this is we engage our five senses and we turn off the TV, we put away the phone and we're fully focused. And if you're alone, you can sink into pleasure by even making like, oh, this is so good. Oh, these chips and this cookie and this like literally just sink into as much euphoria as you possibly can. What does it taste like? Ask yourself, like, what am I tasting right now? What am I smelling? What am I hearing? What's the texture like? Oh, so good. Instead of, oh my God, I can't believe I'm eating this. Why am I doing this? I'm so weak. Like, no, cut that out and sink into pleasure because how many of us have been full but not satisfied so we continue to eat? Mm -hmm. Your brain is looking to not only check the box of, yeah, I'm physically full, but also I'm physically, or I'm, I'm, I'm physically satisfied. So if you don't allow your brain because the guilt and the internal dialogue isn't allowing your brain to register satisfied, you will continue to crave. Mm -hmm. So this is just a way to one, enjoy your meals more and begin reducing the impulsivity that builds when we're feeling guilty for eating. How we eat is more important than what we eat. That's something 100%. I always say for sure. One thing that's like a little follow-up to your plate strategy that now that I think about it, I was actually probably using your plate technique in a way. Um, but it, I have a little like mini meditation before I eat called Ho'oponopono, which is just like a Hawaiian saying that means, thank you. I love you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And mm. for me, what it symbolized was the journey that the food took to get here mm. um, through all the farmers and the grocery stores and the transportation and the growing and the planting and the and just so mm. many different layers 
And it gone through so much just to get to where you are today. And if that alone can make you appreciate it just a Mm. little bit more, just enough to take your mind away from the guilt, just because it sparks the interest of like, wait, I didn't think about that. There's actually a a real life human being that is taking these Mm. theories or whatever and putting them in the car and then another one and another one and another one. Like that alone is just mind blowing. And so and I do that after I build a plate. Like I put my hands That's over awesome. my food and it's like a little, a little prayer, so to speak, a little That's meditation, so cool. like tapping in. Those are all just such solid mm. gold, Jesse. Uh, I love I that though. That, I wish that somebody had told me just even the few things that you said today, mm-hmm. back like three, four years ago, it would have saved me years. It would have saved mm-hmm. me years. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think your your food freedom online program is just so revolutionary because that's the work that I had to go through that was like trial and error, throwing spaghetti at the wall that I'm still figuring out. Mm-hmm. That was just so messy and blood, sweat, and tears and nobody to support me and so isolating. And that's the beauty totally. of your program. And I had the honor to speak a little bit in that. And the level, the women are, I still get messages. <laughs> Really? That's awesome. Yeah. Being like you were in Jesse's, like, I just listened to your, to your, to your interview, to your training. And I Mm. just want to let you know, like, they're just so having Mm. a community of like-minded women and the women that you attract Mm. just says so much about you too, and your teachings and how powerful they are and your Mm. testimonials, like literally give me chills because they're so incredibly powerful. So I wish I had your program Mm. three years ago, but since I didn't and because I want everybody else to have it. Can you tell us like more about that? Do you dive into how does it work with science? Is it like, totally. how, yeah. tell us about it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I honestly feel like it is my moral obligation because I do it for that, that younger version of myself that was sitting in my dorm room questioning if life was even worth it because I was so tired. And I just think if there was something like this, then maybe I wouldn't have had such dark thoughts and maybe I wouldn't have been so insecure and kept myself from experiencing so many memories. Um, But I feel like this is me making it up to me by doing this. Um, And so it's, it's two years old now and it's the only thing that I do. I've poured my heart and my soul into it. And I've taken, you know, all of the experience that I've gotten in trial and error through 10 years of struggling and then going through my um, eating psychology coach certification program and partnering with a a licensed professional counselor and multiple experts to create this. Um, But the the power of the course is that it's a multidimensional approach. And so while I'm a firm believer in therapy and I still go to therapy, fortunately not for food and body issues, but I, I did not find my freedom in therapy. And I believe that the reason that I didn't was because it was a one-dimensional approach. And then when I went to Overeaters Anonymous, the aspect of the support, like a community was so powerful, but it was also one-dimensional and there wasn't these other components. And so we, we've created this multidimensional approach that it's, it's a four-month online program. We work with women all over the world. Um, we've had 700 people successfully graduate in the last two years and completely quit binging, overeating, emotional eating, and step into such self-love and, and compassion and body confidence. And um, yeah, it's a combination. There's three main elements to the course. So there is the online program 
So there's eight core modules that are our video teachings. I teach on the science of how to reprogram your brain around food and your body. And I'm, I'm just such a nut for the science because I think it helps make us feel less crazy. It's like, oh, I'm not crazy. This is just what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we dive into a ton of different healing modalities within those eight core modules. And then there's integration homework associated with that. So that's kind of one element. And then the other element of the course is the coaching. So there's group coaching that happens multiple times every single week. So you can jump on, you know, I call it open office hours. And so I'm open and available multiple times a week to help you navigate the course. And we have a, our licensed professional counselor, he comes in um, a couple times a month and he does coaching and training um, for the women inside of our program. And so there's this aspect of connection and accountability and a, and a beautiful community. And then we have our private community group and our sister circle accountability groups. So you're plugged into an accountability group and you you connect with a smaller group of women um, that just get you and are there to support you day in and day out and help hold you accountable to rising higher. And I say some days you're, I call it the journey to the mountaintop, this place where I live in Colorado. I love the mountains. The top of a mountain is beautiful. And I say, you know, you're, you're on a journey. You're no longer on the all or nothing roller coaster. When you join our program, you're now climbing the mountain. It's stable. You're, you're on stable ground and you're walking upwards and sometimes you're tired and there'll be girls behind you who are pushing you up and some ahead of you who are pulling you up. And sometimes you're like in flow and then you'll be pulling and pushing girls up with you. And it's just this beautiful interconnected tribe that we have. And um, after the four months, we have many women who are like, you know what? I want to I want to heal other aspects of who I am. And so they dive into Prevail and Conquer, which is our eight-month phase two and three um, part of the program. But after the first four months, the the stuff with food is is so, I mean, most women are are done binging and overeating in that time period, which is absolutely insane when it took me 10 years to get out of that. So that wow. is, yeah, that's the yeah. program. I am mind blown. Where can people mm. find it? Mm, yeah. So if you go to uh, conquerbingeating.com slash FFM, it was called the Food Freedom Masterclass. We've just changed it to the Food Freedom Online Program. Um, but yeah, conquerbingeating.com slash FFM. You can read all about it. You can see our testimonials. If you're um if you just want more information or you're you're just really afraid, I always encourage listening to on my podcast, the Dear Body Podcast. I have a bunch of episodes that start with the title Her Story. And those are all client interviews of women who have been through the program, their experience, good, bad, ups, downs, they share it all, um, and just what it's been like for them. And I feel like those are really encouraging places to start if you're just in such a hole of doubt and, and uncertainty with this. Dear, I'm going to put this in the show notes as well. Conquerbingeating.com slash FFM and the Dear Body podcast. Yeah. Her story episodes. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. This is amazing, Jesse. I, uh, I goosebumps so many times during this episode and I just so appreciate you. I can like hear your heart. Even when I, sometimes I close my eyes when you talk so I can hear your heart. Um, and I so appreciate you coming on here and serving us as well. You're mm-hmm. an earth angel and I'm so honored to know you mm-hmm. and to be in this space with you and to call you my friend. Like, I can't wait for us mm-hmm. to reunite. We're coming to Denver after this is all over. You have to. <laughs> I have like airline credit and everything and that's our top choice. So Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Can't wait to Thank see you, you so much. Thank you, Jesse, so much. Um, actually, real quick, is there anything like you want to say 
anything you want to tell our listeners, anything just to like close off this episode? Mm, yeah, I, I think my, the thing I would love for listeners to take away is that you are worthy of support and you're worthy of, of healing and you're worthy of the things that you desire. Those things desire you and you are in such good hands listening to and following Mary. However, you stumbled up upon her. I think, you know, sometimes we wonder like, is this person safe? Is this person right? And everything that I've gotten to know from you, Mary, it's just you, you are leading such a powerful movement and your audience is in such a safe container following you and listening to your listening to your podcast. So you guys are in a really, really safe place and know that you are, you are worthy of all of the things that you want and support and coming out of isolation is the key. If nobody knows you're struggling, if you're in isolation, that's the first step. Ah, That means the world to me. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here, for being you. And I love you and I love Love you all listening. (laughs) I'll talk to you later.